Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. All right, now picture this. There's a somewhat desolate country road near your home. Now you've actually traveled down this road countless of times and enjoy the calmness it can offer. Sometimes you see some deer. Sometimes you see some rabbits. But there is never a box. You spot it instantly. It's large, and it's just sitting off the side of the road. You say to yourself, maybe it's trash. But what if it's not? Wouldn't you at least want to know what was in that box? And more importantly, would you be brave enough to walk over and peek inside? Welcome back, everyone, to Talk Murder to Me. Thanks for joining us. It's been a while since we've recorded last, and it feels good to be back together again. Yeah, I haven't seen you guys in, like, f- almost four days. Yeah, I think so. It's been a while. At first, I was getting kind of worried, and then I at least saw that you texted it one, once or twice. I was like, okay, at least I know she's alive. But I almost texted you at one point. I was like, are you alive? I was like, no, no, no. She texted me. She texted us, like, last night. It's, it's okay. Oh, you worried about me? Of course. And I want to thank everyone that has reached out and asked us how we're doing. We are in Charleston, and there is a hurricane barreling our way. Charleston just put out a premature evacuation, so... (laughs) (laughs) You just wanted those two words grouped together. And we are undecided if we're going to be riding it out or going. That's the worst thing, was when you premature evacuate. We've made that mistake before. Exactly. And then returned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't call her back. <laughs> so uh, the hint tonight was fragile handle with care. That is an excellent hint. And no one guessed it. I'm very disappointed. I, I, I haven't even begun to really think about what it could be, to be honest with you. But let me, I'll get to that. Let me first talk about the drink. Because this looks delightful. Ooh, I got a little whipped cream mustache here. It should it should have been hotter, I think, but I, I don't mind it lukewarm. Yum. It is coffee, Bailey's, rum, praline, liqueur, liqueur, grenadine, and topped with whipped cream. Have you not been sleeping? Huh? Haven't you not been sleeping? It caught. Well, this will keep keep me up for the episode at least. It's only. F- like a quarter of a cup of coffee. And the rest is booze. Yeah. But it, t- it doesn't taste too booze heavy, and I thought I would be. No, it's good. Booze heavy. I love that. The hint tonight was fragile. Handle with care. Fragile. Oh, I'm going to put that yeah. in there. Yes. <laughs> What's the movie that is that from? The Christmas Story. Yes. Fragile. <laughs> <laughs> it must be Italian. <laughs> ah, fragile. It must be Italian. I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. I gave my dad the lamp. Yeah. For, uh, I think I got it at Spencer's, like for Christmas when I was in high school. Uh-huh. He loved that shit, man. The, oh, he, the leg lamp. Oh, yeah. it, it, didn't sit, it didn't sit by <laughs> uh, the Margaritaville machine? Yeah. <laughs> we should get a leg lamp. Yeah. That was the, that's probably the best movie ever made. I've only seen it once and I don't remember. I really it, want to be honest more, with you. I wonder what happens, what happened to the actors, you know? I don't know. I do know that I saw it for the first time in fifth grade and I didn't get it. 
Everyone, oh, really? Everyone loved it, and I was just like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that was the only time I saw it. Maybe I was in like third grade. Mm, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I was in like fifth grade, but then I saw it like l- a little bit a few years later. I love it. I do love the movie. I'd like to rewatch it now. I have it. Oh, good. On Blu ray. Excellent. Um, well, I'm going to guess the Unabomber. <laughs> That's a good guess. That's a, good guess. That's a really good guess. That uh, may be correct. Oh, it's probably damn. not. <laughs> That's a good guess. Okay, I'm gonna guess. And what's the guy's damn. name? Krasin- Krasinski. Krasinski. That's a great guess. That one show that we watched with the Unabomber was great. Yeah, that was a very well done show. I forget what. Did you watch that one, Jen? Or- no. All right, you'll catch up on that one. Um, we, it came out last year. I think it is a killer who mails body parts Ooh. to scale, scare other people or, like, blackmail people. Like, I got your girlfriend. You, there's, like, a finger in there. Well, I did tell Nicole it's unsolved. So. Oh. Oh. Well, you told them so we were doing, like, Well, there was two kind of hints. The Facebook post. Did you all see the Facebook post? Yeah. It says the hint is Fred Fragile. 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 Handle with care. This is an unsolved murder mystery. I can't wait to unbox for you guys. There's a little sub hint in there. Okay, but so some... it is unsolved. All right. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, what you think of that, Jen? Tasted like cherry cough syrup. It actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was great. Vod- I, I'm going to say it's vodka, cherry vodka. Yeah, it's definitely vodka. We are drinking Pearl Red Berry Vodka. Pearl Red Berry Vodka is made from hand-selected soft winter wheat combined with a crisp, pure mountain water. Distilled five times and artistically blended with a tantalizing taste of red, ripe raspberries. Like all other pearl flavors, it is expertly crafted in micro batches to ensure the ultimate in smoothness and taste. It did go down pretty smooth. Pearl, it just sounds like um, something that that women will be drinking at bachelorette parties or something. Or like a sex toy party. I'm drinking pearl vodka. I don't drink that at sex toy parties. <laughs> what are you drinking at sex toy parties? <laughs> All right. We have a brand but new Taco hilarious. Supremo. This is Sarah. Hey, hey Sarah. Sarah. S-A-R-A. No H. From Portland. Maine? Oregon. Oregon? Oh, I don't know. I guess Oregon. I don't know. Hello, Sarah, where are you fellow from? Supremos. I'm so happy I joined. I've been a true crime lover since I was young, but having podcasts like John, Nicole, and Jen's really fuels my fire in, in learning more. I've lived in Portland my whole life. I own an adorable lionhead rabbit named Nesta. Oh, pictures. Lionhead rabbit. What is a lionhead rabbit? I don't know. That rabbit. shit sounds amazing. Can we though. Google image this real quick? Yeah, let me Google image oh it. Oh my gosh. Today at work, there was a Sharpay, a, a member that had a Sharpay, and he was only four months old, and he was so wrinkly and cute. Also, Aww. he had a black tongue, which is weird. Oh, yeah. Some, um, oh, that's like, not good. That means that's a Taiwanese disease you get, black tongue. No. There are it's some like dogs that have black something. tongues, like chows have black tongues. Oh, dude, check this out. Oh, it's fluffy. Look at this one. Oh. <laughs> 
That is a weird that looking is thing. So weird. I it want looks one. like a guinea pig slash. Yeah. Look at the ears, man. Rabbit. It's not it looks real like rabbit a Furby. Ears. Yes, they are. I know, but they're real rabbit ears, but not normal rabbit. Doesn't it look like yes, a Furby? Yeah, I could see that. Except it doesn't have a bird beak. Huh. Sarah, we want to see Nesta. We'll post it on our Facebook page. Send us a picture of Miss Nesta. I think it's a girl. Nesta. And is that Nesta like Nestle? Were you taking that uh, name from Nestle? I don't know. We'll have she'll have to let us know. Or maybe the rabbit likes to make nests. Oh, cool! Look, maybe she's a massage uh, therapist. Oh. oh my gosh, I need one really bad. Can you and travel? She enjoys going to Oregon County Fair every summer, which oh, well, is that... essentially a giant hippie fest. Oh, full kind, full of the kindest, most gentle, loving people on the planet. It's my home away from home. Hopefully I did this right. I can't wait to keep listening to all the episodes. Not quite caught up on the up to date yet. And also I sent a request for a story. Yes, you did. And I would like to say the hint will be something about high heels. That's a good story. I've been wanting to do that story since I started. Oh, I know. And I was you do not know. Yes, I do. Who? Ed Gain. Is not Ed Gain. But <sighs> I've been wanting to do this story forever, and she, as she said, Sarah said, no one's covered it. Well, you know why? Because people are afraid. <laughs> Did you know that um, <laughs> after Chris Watts, the Luca Magnata episode is our most popular yeah, episode? It's number like, one. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Keep rocking and podcasting. Your show is my favorite. Thank you so much Aww. for doing it. You're welcome, Sarah, from Portland. And you need to send us a picture of Nesta so we can... Show him or her to the world. Yes. Please do that. Also, guys, we are starting, or I am starting to learn how to use social media. We have a private Facebook group for Supremos. And so if you are not in the group and are a Supremo, go ahead and request to join. But we're only improving true Supremos and small tacos. Stop trying to get in there if you're not a Supremo. We check. Okay, there's like 10 people that try to join. But we love you anyway. We're just poor. All right, tonight you have got to go to talkmer.com. Please listen to this at night because you need to see all the photos that I'm putting up. This is an unsolved murder mystery from the 50s. Oh, Oh, one of my favorite time periods. We're going to 1957, Mm -hmm. February 25th, which is a day before Mm -hmm. the most important day in the world. Mm-hmm. Which is my birthday. Yes, correct. Okay. February 25th, 1957. This ain't going to make any sense to you unless you see the pictures. Talkmer.com. Share the post, please. I spent literally hours making this post for you guys. Share it. Comment. Send it to your, your grandmother. She'll love it. She was probably, she probably even heard of the story, actually. Like, if you're, my grandma's probably heard of it. I mean, it's happened in mm. 57. All right. All right. Tonight, we're going to Philadelphia. Born and raised. Yeah. I got it first. Damn. It was a Tuesday, February 26th, when police came across this road right here. Now, they were directed to go here by a couple of passerbys. And if you see this picture right here that I'm putting on Talk Murder, if you see the little arrow, just go to talkmurder.com. It's like the second picture down. Mm -hmm. That arrow is the crime scene. And this is the actual evidence of the crime scene. A box. A box. The hint was fragile handle with care. So, What's in the box? 
What's in the box? Uh, <laughs> I think we did that before. Yeah, I think we just talked about this. Damn it. I still haven't seen it's it. It's a great It's on Netflix, though, I it think. It is. Yeah, that's a great freaking movie. This was a large cardboard box sitting out in the middle of that shrubbery down there. Now, the shrubbery. This road is sus, and I'm shitty at pronouncing anything. Sus. Susquehanna Road. Susquehanna. Susquehanna Road. How did you know how to say that? There was Susquehanna somewhere else. Because she's the one that dropped the box off. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Time travel. Isn't there a Susquehanna somewhere? I don't know. Like Massachusetts or something? Probably. It sounds like a Native American name. Yeah. All right, Susquehanna. Susquehanna. All right, so this is the actual Susquehanna Road and Vary Road. As you see there. Now you see where it says Discovery Site? Yes. Yeah, so go to Talk Murder to see that. That is the actual Discovery Site now. It does not look like that now. In fact, it looks like... Uh, apartment complexes? Yes, exactly. It looks it It is industrial apartment complexes. Very good. Because anything that was undeveloped land back then is most likely an apartment complex now. Statistically. This is what it looks like now. Very good call, Jen. That's, I that's really am trying to think of what it, the heck is in that box. I'm like, is that a cat? Like, I, I can't. Looks like That's feathers. where the box was right there. Huh. Can you see? What's I, in the box? What's in the box? Damn it. Why did we use that joke on the episode that had nothing to do with it? This has been the perfect what's in the box. This is a closer view of the cardboard box in question. And I know I'm, I'm driving you guys crazy here. <sighs> what's in the box? It's like a self-made coffin. But it's too small. No, it's not. It's long enough. You if you think? cut a body in half, you can stuff it. Oh, maybe just optically. I just don't see how don't, the box looks much smaller to me. Spatial. It's yeah. Spatial reasoning cues. is kind of my. Uh, I don't have okay. any cues. Like the, the leaves. depth perception is not good. Look at the depth of it. It look at the TV as if it was. Look at the square. As if it was a landscape in front of you and not a screen in front of you. Let me tell you, before the cops got there, this is the 25th. That was a Monday. Now it's February. Chilly in, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. It's freezing. Chilly in oh, Philly. Yeah. Chilly in Philly. Yeah. I like that, yeah. And a guy, his name, well, there's two guys that actually saw the box and didn't report it. But I'm going to stick up for these guys. Because there's a reason why both of them didn't report it, and they're both separate reasons. Well, yeah, exactly. One guy's name was John Powrosnik. Okay, Powell Rosnik. Powrosnik is a Polish Polish. name. Oh. Oh, very good. And he discovered the body. Now he was 18 at the time. He discovered it February 22nd or February 23rd. They could never actually pinpoint the date when he discovered it. He was riding his little bicycle down that dirt road. Now, if you saw the pictures before, it's it was a dirt path. Right. He was actually going to church to play basketball. I guess they had a little gymnasium at church. February 26 hits. They know about the box. Cops are flooding. And this is in the middle of fucking nowhere at the time. There was nothing down there. It was like a desolate road, Right. So why was he driving down that road? Across the street, there was a, and we'll get into, a school for wayward girls, the Good Shepherd School for Wayward Girls, across the street. But that was it. Okay, so down this road, now you have literally 20 cop cars parked there all day for days, 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 days. 
Okay, so he eventually goes and tells the police, hey, I saw this before you guys did a few days ago. His he's from Poland. Well, his family's from Poland. Mm -hmm. And during that time, what was happening before the 50s? I mean, we had World War Two and Mm -hmm. Hitler putting his iron boot down on Poland. Yep. And not only that, the people, the cops and Hitler's minions were in uniform with badges executing people, you know what I'm saying? Right. The they don't trust authority. Mm-hmm. They immigrate to America and they see cops coming in with badges and uniforms. Yeah. They they don't trust them. And I understand that. That's why he didn't go to the police earlier because it's not like he didn't want to report what was in the box. But that they just came from the oppressive country of Poland, immigrated over here to the safety of America. They still haven't acclimated yet Mm. also another important fact is he is a fur trapper now he's a kid but he had like 19 or so traps out and he would catch little rabbits and stuff and then skin them for their fur which is fucked i don't know if it was illegal back then but it was definitely frowned upon because a lot of people including the next guy that discovered the body was walking around disarming those traps so small animals wouldn't you know Mm. fall into their but furs were still popular during that time, though people yeah, would still wear fur. Not a, like, not illegal to wear a fur, but maybe they have to be specially licensed or something? I don't know. This guy's name that was actually disarming the other guy's traps was Frederick J. Ben- Benonis, B-E-N-O-N-I-S, Benonis. Frederick J. Benonis. Now, he was 26 years old at the time. And- Italian? I Is think that? so, yeah. Here's a picture of this dude. At the time, he was 26 and attending La Salle College. La Salle. La Salle College. Now, he didn't report it because he's a quirky kind of guy. And he, and more than once, stopped his car when a rabbit, now this is what he tells police, a rabbit runs across his car and he chases it because he's interested in the rabbit. Like, interested meaning what? What they later found out was this guy <laughs> would stop his car, <laughs> like, off the road, and then go peep up in the uh, Good Shepherd's School for Wayward Girls windows and try to see some some action there. He was a peeping Tom back in the 50s. That's so why it had nothing to do with I don't, the... What? <laughs> nothing to do with the, These are why the people didn't... I'm trying to... No, ma- no, no. What do, wait, was he really... Stopping for rabbits? No, he wasn't. He was just he telling was just, people. He was just peeping He at was the a girls. peeping Tom. And the, how old are the girls in this school? Well, so well, they're it, teenagers. That's a, a yeah. wayward, home for wayward girls. It's like a pregnancy school. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, pre- oh, yeah, it? pregnancy a lot, but it's like troubled. Troubled girls. Troubled yeah. girls. So, uh, and it's like a Catholic thing. It's not there anymore. I looked it up. Good Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Church for wayward girls. So he would just be peeping in the windows. That's why he didn't report a box. All right, I'm trying to drive you guys crazy because I know you want to know what's inside the box. What's in the box? (laughs) The box was damp on the outside but dry on the inside. It was measuring 35 by 19 by 15, and the words fragile, handle with care, were typed on the box. Now, this is the shipping label from the box. The shipping label... Shows that the box was sent from Peru to Indiana and finally arriving at a J.C. Penney store on wait. November twenty seventh, nineteen fifty six. Wait, is Peru a city in Indiana? Yeah. 
Oh, Sorry, okay. I should okay. I should have. I was like, wow, that thing traveled far. <laughs> I should have made that clear. I forgot about the country for a second. Okay. When John spotted the box, the the one that was going to church, when he spotted the box, it wasn't there the last time he was been through the woods. So he knew it was a new box. He tried to pick it up, but it was he- too heavy to walk around. This, I, I want to say, this area at the time is not like that anymore, obviously, because you got the residential neighborhoods and stuff, was a popular dumping site. People would dump trash there all the time, mm-hmm. which pissed off the residents mm-hmm. because they would literally... So he thought that it was just a damn fucking asshole throwing his shit out again. But still, you see a box and a big box at that. That's heavy. Ask yourself, aren't you going to go try to see what's in it? You're going to go try to peer around at least. You may not touch it, but you're going to try to see what's in the box. I'd probably be worried that there's like a wild animal in there. You can read this, Nicole. This is from the book, which I'll tell you what the title is in a second. When he saw the naked doll partly wrapped in a blanket with its head just sticking out, he wondered why it had been tossed in the woods. Why would a girl who had such a big doll with such real-looking hair... Oh, the skin was not the flesh pink of dolls. It was real people colored except greenish around the stomach. The head was as big as a little boy's. The hair cut like no doll's hairdo he'd ever seen. Tonight, guys, we are talking about the unsolved mystery, even to this day, very intriguing mystery of the boy in the box. Oh. America's, also known as America's unknown child. Hmm. Still to this day, this child does not have a name. Hmm. Maybe he was an immigrant. Maybe. That, we're going to bring up that point. That's a very valid point. And we'll explore that. Now, at the end of this episode, we're going to read the full testimony of... Someone, the only person that is really believed to know exactly what happened and Mm. had a close personal relationship with the killer and this boy. And I can read it if you guys want. And that person knows who the killer is? Oh, yeah. I can read it if you guys want. But I'm not saying that's the truth or not. There's only one person that knows, and it's her. Okay. Her. Her His who? mother. I'm I'm just this You are you are going too far, sir. I have too many questions. <laughs> is that an actual picture or is that a drawing? Because it's really sad if it's a picture I don't want to look at it. That is a picture, yeah. This was yeah. a very, very popular case at the time and is still today. It was featured on America's Most Wanted. No one has ever been able to identify who this boy is. As you see from the picture I'm showing you, this is the original wanted poster. The information wanted poster. You see that the boy has bruises on his face, and you see some of the evidence that was also around the box. What about um, the shape of his head? Yeah, it almost looks like if he had a, a deformity. Yeah, I mean, you don't notice it as much on that the, the far left, right. It's but like you know, something is the... protruding out of the back of yeah. his head on the right side. Is it a an injury or is it a deformity? I don't want to make light of it, but the picture in the middle looks like the little boy from the I Like Turtles video. It does. The thing about this poster you're you're seeing right now is you're not the first person to see it, obviously. You're not even the millionth person. This flyer right here, if you lived in Philadelphia around that time period 
and you paid your gas and electricity bill, you saw this poster. If you went to the barbershop, you saw this poster. If you read the newspaper, you saw this poster. You could not not see this damn poster. And it's so interesting to look at it because it's just so intriguing. Because, yeah, he's got a weird-shaped head, and it just looks really weird. So it caught everyone's attention. So you have millions of people that have seen this poster, and no one has been able to identify this kid yet. It's very shocking. It's weird. It doesn't say that they, he has a deformity in the description. All right, let it me talk. No a, deformity. Let me talk a little bit about the box first. Okay. It read "fragile, handle with care." Obviously, this was a J.C. Penny box. All right, damp on the outside, slightly weathered, dry on the inside. Um, the box at one point, because they tracked it down to the J.C. Penny, and in the box was one of twelve. Of these sold. Oh, a, a bassinet. Yeah, a white bassinet. In hmm. fact, in the box there, before the, because the bassinet wasn't in the box, obviously. Right. But there was white paint chips in the box. So they sent that to the FBI. Mm-hmm. But before they even got the analysis back, they tracked it down at JCPenney and knew it was a white bassinet. Now, what, what's the first thing you would do if, if you're a detective? Go well, see who bought this freaking thing. Yeah, yeah. If you can. You know what I'm saying? Because the box that. probably came from his house. They did that. And they tracked down 11 of 12 people that bought it. Where's the 12th? No one knows where the 12th is. But at the time, JCPenney was only taking cash. They didn't do cards. Mm. So it was cash only, no receipts. No, or not no receipts, but no, um, no log yeah. of who buys what. All right. So that didn't help. How did um, they tra- manage track 11? That's actually pretty impressive. Because they kept putting out the flyers and the marketing and stuff. And people would mm. come forward and be like, I bought this. You know what I'm saying? So pe- ah, everyone people wanted forward. this case to be solved. So 11 people came forward. Yeah, 11, one I mean, did not. People wanted this case to be solved. Meaning right. the one who did not was the killer? The box had no fingerprints on it. It was shipped to the FBI. They found the white paint. Now, there was a blanket that was washed recently. It had no tag. This is the blanket right here. And, guys, go to talkmurder.com to uh, keep up with me. Now, it looks kind of like a nice blanket, but it's really not. It was actually cheaply made, and it was cut in two, which is very important. Keep that in mind. It was cut in two. Here's a colored picture of the blanket. So it was cut in two. Maybe the person had twins. Now, the blanket, the blanket fabric was sent to Philadelphia Textile Institute, and they, they came back to the police and said it was a low-quality thread, probably a home sewing machine. Let me talk about what else was found at the crime scene. Now, this may have hindered the investigation. No one really knows. But this hat right here, it's a very unique style hat. This is the actual hat. I'm putting that photo on talkmurder.com. This is a corduroy cap. Now, this cap was found literally 17 feet away from this box, but it could have blown off when someone was driving their car or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean exactly. it belonged to the boy. Which is why it may have actually hindered the case because mm-hmm. they always thought it was a link, but maybe it wasn't. Okay. Now, this cap had an inside label that read Robin's Bald Eagle Hat and Cap Company at 2603 South 17th Street in South Philly. 
The owner's name was Hannah Robbins. Now, she explained that she only made 12 of these. And mm. when the cops were like, well. Weird. 12 of those you, and 12 yeah. bassinets. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of ironic. How do you know if you made 12? Well, this is kind of a specialty item. And I know this cap specifically because the man who came in and bought this for me asked if I can sew a strap on it, on the bottom of it. It was specially made for him. So that, that particular one that particular has a strap. hat that they brought in was specially made for this guy that she sold it to. She saw his face and everything. Now I do want to say when she saw the boy's picture of the boy in the box, she said it was a dead ringer. To, I'm not, I mean, obviously not the boy, but the guy's father. Mm. You know what I'm saying? No, keep that saw, in mind. She saw a resemblance. Yeah, but that could have been uh, apophenia. Yeah. That's a that's a word, a friend word right there. If one of you guys want to read this. I remember him quite well, Robbins went on cheerfully. The man who bought this hat. The detectives could hardly believe their ears. You remember him? One asked. I just told you I did, she said. The cap didn't have a leather strap. He wanted one for some reason. So I was happy to sew one on for him. He was the only one who wanted a strap. Can you describe him? He was alone, wearing work clothes. He was in his late 20s, I think. He had blonde hair. One of the detectives held up a picture of the dead child. Did he look like he could be the father of this little boy? Oh, how awful. Yes, I could see him as the boy's father. There's a resemblance. Anything else, Mrs. Robbins? There was nothing special about him. He wasn't nervous. He didn't have an accent or anything. Thank you, Mrs. Robbins. Call us if you think of anything else. He didn't have an accent or anything. You said the boy, or somebody said the boy may have been an immigrant. Yep, gentleman, okay. yep. But now he, this, the father doesn't have an accent. Just keep that in mind. All right. So as I forgot to mention this, tonight we are reading The Boy in the Box, The Unsolved Case of America's, America's Unknown Child is by David Stout. He was an investigative journalist. The book is pretty good. If you want to know about this case, there is a website called America's Unknown Child. Dot net. It was it's like a HTML website from like nineteen nineties. I mean, they still have like look at this. They have that little house symbol, like oh, that little house, home. <laughs> that little oh, home, the home icon. Well, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I just thought of. I mean, maybe the father. If that is his father, he doesn't necessarily have to be an immigrant for the child to be an immigrant. Especially if he was in his late twenties or early thirties, he could have been a soldier who brought home someone home from the war, and she had a child. Well, there was a soldier. There's a lot of suspects, and one was a soldier. The book is good because the tale is basically one detective's mission in life to find out the identity of this boy. And, you know, he never did, and he died not even knowing. But um, his name is Remington Bristow. He was the detective in charge of the case. And in the book, he says, this is from him, quote, 19 years in the medical examiner's office he reminisced, during that time, 20,000 unknowns were brought to the back door. I was able to identify all but 24. Wow. He raised his right hand and pointed to a small weed-covered plot. This is one of the 24. Standing over the grave of the unknown boy, he offered a prayer and said goodbye. I've worn out six pairs of shoes walking mile after mile, and I've read and reread every police report written about the boy's deaths. Death, he said. Somewhere, somebody knows the boy's identity and what happened to him. He died not even knowing. So the book is good because it follows his frustration 
and mm-hmm. how he's losing his family because that's all he can think about is this book. I mean, the cops were very dedicated, you know, to finding the identity. It's just really sad that they never did. It is kind of sad. Is there anything that they can use today to test DNA evidence? That's a good point. They have exhumed the body multiple times. They haven't found a match yet. They did they did eliminate some of the key suspects, hmm. but they haven't actually found a match yet. But there was an article on A&E True Crime that, you know, asked the question, will 2019 be the the year that they identify the the boy in the box? The the case is called the boy in the box. All right. Other items found at the scene were black children's shoes, cheap but in good shape. Now, the shoes were clean, which is really weird because this is a muddy area where the body was dumped. So the the child who was wearing those black shoes n- didn't necessarily walk around in them. Exactly. He was dead. Yeah, I was trying to say he was dead before he got there. Um, but the shoes were not in the box. So the shoes we, were not in the box. How do we know that they were def- part from the boy? I don't know. They did actually try those shoes on, and they were much too big for the boy. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just that's mm-hmm. one of those things that could have hindered the case. But that's strange to find a pair of them in this isolated area. There was yeah. also a stained piece of blanket and a man's gray sweater. Inside the sweater, they found something. What? A dead cat. Ew. There was a child's tan scarf and a yellow flannel shirt. A white handkerchief was also found, and the handkerchief had strands of hair with the initials G in the corner. All right, now let me talk a little bit about the initial finding of the body. Dr. Joseph W. Spellman was the city chief medical examiner at the time, and he says the body, and go to Talkmore to see the actual photos I have all the photos of the autopsy, and even more creepier than that, I don't know if they'd ever do this today, but in the desperation to find the killer or the identity of the kid, some detectives donated their son's clothes that he has outgrown. They dressed the body up, and they took pictures of it and displayed it on posters, you know, so kids would be like, oh, I remember him, you know, kind of thing. And I'll show you the pictures. It's really it's really creepy if you think about it. So this is one of the many photos they took of the boy wearing clothes. They sat oh, him up. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it is creepy, isn't it? Oh, so that they were, is so fucking weird. They were putting these posters around everywhere. Now, this is the actual de- dead boy wearing clothes, shoes, and it was actually the detective's son's, like, outgrown clothes. That's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. I, I don't think they do that today. They I, don't. I, yeah. Because um, you can just put it like computer. Yeah. Animate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like make it, him look alive and put you know. Well, that's like uh, when I went to St. Augustine for Tara's bachelorette party, we did a ghost tour. And um, one of the uh, hotels is actually a repurposed uh, funeral home. Oh, no. And we didn't stay there, but this is on the ghost tour. Oh, yeah, that's that's not somewhere I, I would ever stay. But they used to, you know, dress up the bodies and put them on display in the windows um, so people could see, that's like, weird. the types of services that uh, oh, so my they God. would weird. offer. Yeah. That reminds me of that uh, episode we did. Um, yeah. Was it Elmer McCurdy, yes. right? Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah, so we did that for a Supremo's. Go and listen to oh, that, that one. That's a private a episode one. for you guys. But 
is about this guy that was literally hanging in a carnival for 20 something years. They thought he was, they thought he was, yeah, he was in a haunted house. They thought he was part of the, the haunted attraction, but he was, is a real course. (laughs) They didn't know. Yeah. Holy shit. But yeah, they used to like dress up the dead bodies and put them on display in the, like in the, there were like four big windows and they would be on display. I mean, not now. It was very strange. And I will have to say that I made it through the ghost tour. I know. I did the Charleston walking tour once and it wasn't scary, but I feel like the jail one would be really scary. Yeah. Like that would be a daytime activity, not for nighttime. All right, so guys, here's some of the pictures. There's a blanket. I showed you that. Here's the cap. You see the strap on the back. Mm. This is the boy's feet. So as soon as they got the boy out of the box and put him in the autopsy room, they took a print of his feet. They may need it for identification one day. For some reason, when we said leather strap, I wasn't thinking like on the back. I was thinking oh, yeah, like yeah. a chin strap. Yeah, yeah sorry. All right, so uh, I'm putting these photos on Talk Murder. These are the medical examiner's photos, and keep in mind, it's very graphic. But this is the boy right here. As you see, he's very malnourished. Uh, yeah, very very, I mean, you could see his ribs. Yep. Literally, mm-hmm. that's his rib cage. There's bruising Ooh. all down his legs. He has uh, knock knees. Yep. Yeah, bruising all down his legs. This is his bruising on his hands. That's the back of him. Bruising on his back. His hair, you see here, was cut. That's actually hair right there. Somebody had just quickly tried to cut his hair. And I don't know whether to hide the identification or what, but they just crudely, quote, crudely cut it with scissors just like. I'm sorry. I can't stop thinking about the I like turtles boy. What are you, a zombie? Does like I was thinking it's like a dead ringer. I couldn't place. I couldn't place it. That's it. Can you please on talkmurder.com put a comparison photo? I will put a comparison of the turtle boy. The small blanket was cut in two pieces around the body. The child appeared to be between the ages of four and six. His eyes were blue. They were sunken into his skull, half closed when they found him, his mouth partly open. He looked as though he was crying right before this happened, okay, which is important. Keep that in mind. This is the words from the medical examiner that I pulled from the book that we're reading from. Quote, but it was the look on the face that chilled him, a look he would see in his mind's eye even in old age. And it's true. You see the boy's picture. That's why it's so iconic, that picture. His face, is something's wrong with it. Right. Um, He was nude, which is not a good thing. But sexual assault and rape was ruled out. All right. Think about the detectives. They're trying. They have nothing to go on. Okay. Nothing. So the autopsy and how the boy was positioned is literally all they have. For instance, his arms were crossed around Ooh. his body. Like, a, like, yeah, like purposely put there around his body. Now, wait, wait, like crossed or yeah, like, like yeah, like this. Now, was like it? A dead body, like, yeah, like kind of like like a mummy. Yeah, 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 or like Dracula. So what they were oh, thinking? Yeah. A vampire would go to sleep like that. Yeah. So what they were thinking is maybe the killer, maybe the mother, okay, felt remorse. And that was like her last thing to try to make something better of the situation. I mean, 
I I wouldn't rule out the mother because if there were no reports of, like you you would think that the mother would report her son missing yep. or or dead, um, un, unless a the mother was also killed and they never found her body, or b, um, it was a case kind of like you know the Skylar case we just did where she just didn't know like what to do and mm-hmm. and. Got yeah. rid of the body. You know what I mean? That's a good point. And I would say the same thing, too. But if you do read the book, it talks about some of the suspects they interviewed. A lot of them had four or five still stillbirths. Like, for instance, this one carnival uh, workers they were talking to, husband and wife. They had a couple stillbirths that they kind of just threw away because they were dead. They actually had a few kids that died because they were hungry. You know, they didn't report them. Well, that, that's you know what I'm saying. saying. But, like, and, they didn't. Yeah. So it could have been mm-hmm. like a poor situation, too. He's obviously malnourished. Right. Maybe it's a poor family that couldn't even feed themselves much, you know, much less a kid. So that's why his arms were crossed. Yeah. I mean, and they couldn't afford maybe a, a proper funeral yeah. and burial. Exactly. So they didn't want to but go to the But why powers. was he nude? That's a good question. Now, I've thought a lot about that. And also. Because it's y- February. You don't have. He's nude. He's nude, but he's wrapped in a blanket. Well, I was gonna say you could still bury someone in like a yard or something like that. But if it's February, the ground's frozen, mm-hmm. so that or you know probably but buried, but, not thrown in a box and tossed. Right, off the right. Side but of the that road. might be a reason why they couldn't bury. It I would, him, I, but in my personal thing. opinion, if someone, a mother, let's say it wasn't her fault, she couldn't feed her kid. Whatever, you know, that happens. Maybe there was another child that age and needed the clothes. She would at least try to bury it somehow. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. But the fact that, you know, it was the child is naked, you know, and it's freezing outside. But then he's wrapped in a blanket. You know, it's like kind of weird. Yeah. But maybe the maybe he was nude because that was just one more thing that the mother could be identified for. Yeah. You know, or, you know, and I'm not saying the mother mother because who knows. But right. Yeah, that's a great point, though, you brought up. I mean, these cops had to live their entire life seeing this. You know, we see it now. It's kind of like vintage, retro, weird looking. Think about seeing that boy at the time in 57, just bruised, beaten, starved to death, just thrown in a fucking box. Like, holy shit. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, let me talk a little bit about the autopsy. The bruises had imprints on them. Like from the fingers grabbing. Now, this is from the book. It says, quote, perhaps an adult holding a fidgety boy still for his haircuts, for his haircut, squeezing harder as the boy resisted, squeezing harder still, then slapping the boy hard and finally losing control entirely. The uh, medical examiner determined that the boy's hair was cut in the bath when he was taking a bath. So sometime in there, so he was taking a bath as his hair was being cut. Now, this caused a washerwoman effect, which I had to look that up. I never heard of that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's basically, you know, how your feet get all pruny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's basically worse than that. If it's like bad, if you stay in the water way too long, it gets real bad. So his feet actually had a washerwoman effect on him. Huh. Um, from the skin being emerged too long. Now, here, someone can read this. 
Autopsies sometimes start with the words like, this is the well-nourished body of a white male. Not this time. The boy had been just over 40 inches tall. He'd weighed 30 pounds. Dr. Spellman's first impression was that the boy had gone hungry much of the time or had been sick a lot or both. The boy had three small scars. Now, this is really important. The one on the chest and his growing looked like surgical incisions. Hmm. That's good news. That surgery, means there might be a we could go interview every doctor in town and see if they recognize this boy, if they perform surgery on him. He also had a one on his ankle that looks like a uh, it looks like whoever did it was trying to expose a vein for like a blood transfusion. So that's also good because how many five year old boys have blood transfusions? They'd be able to figure this shit out quick, right? Here we are, sixty eight years later. He may have had surgery at one point. Um, he had his tonsils still, no serious dental work. His baby teeth were present, which the doctor said that that means he can be no older than six years old. No signs of dentist work. Now, the reason an age can't be determined is because if you go by the height age, okay, of uh, 40 inches tall, he's six. But if you go by the weight age of the 30 pounds, <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy shit. You know what I'm saying? So you couldn't really determine an age within two years. No sign of dentist work, no vaccination scar. There were small scars on his left side of his chest, left elbow and chin. What about his head? You know how yeah, like, it looked I'll like his... Oh, okay. Um, the boy had moles, three on the left side of his face, one tiny one below his right ear, three small ones on the right side of his chest, and a large one on the right arm above the wrist. His finger... Nails and toenails have been recently trimmed, and it looked like they were done very neat by, like, a professional or an adult that has done it plenty of times. Strange, the doctor thought. Someone seems to have cared enough to arrange surgery for the boy, but not enough to get him vaccinated. Cared enough to trim his nails, but not enough to feed him very much. Oh, did he he ever have polio? I don't know. I didn't see anything about polio, but he obviously had some sort of medical condition. I mean, if you look at his face, I mean, I I don't, I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't look right to me. I mean, the head on? Yeah, his head on his face doesn't, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, guys. I just report the news. Play one on TV. (laughs) X-ray showed he had no broken bones and he actually ate two or three hours before. Now, this is very important. Keep this fact in mind for a little bit later there was brown residue in his esophagus it looked like he had eaten something chocolate uh uh, more like beans and then (laughs) thrown them back up okay that's important a special dye was applied to the eye which treats chronic eye disease this is another big thing they can go to an optometrist and be like oh did you dye this guy's or dye this kid's eye to prevent uh, chronic eye disease. Now, I did find somewhere a contradiction to the dye, and I didn't really dive into it, but the dye might have also been used to uh, treat some sort of illness. So I'm not saying, I, I know the chronic eye, eye thing, but I'm talking about like a temporary illness. So I didn't actually find the exact co- reason he had that special dye in his eye. Um, the estimated death two or three days before police found him, the x-rays revealed scars from the arrested growth and long bones of the legs. Jen mentioned he had, like, what was it, knock knee or something? Knock knee. Knock knees. Knock knees, yeah. Like uh, the... Um, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, yeah. 
Is that what he had? Something like that? Yeah, like they, he, yeah, he had braces on his knees to straight, to straighten him out. You know, my, one of our cousins, I think it was a cousin, I know, pretty sure it was one of our cousins, actually was in that movie as one of the redhead kids that really? was still in the rocks. Yeah. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah. That is a fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> I have knock knees. Do you? Mm-hmm. That's also a fun fact. I didn't know that. Never noticed it. All right. The doctor said the boy was most likely chronically ill for about a year. Now, let's talk about the head. Because obviously the doctor noticed too. A long, narrow head and high, narrow face. Maybe a Northwest European ancestry. Scandinavia or England, perhaps. Maybe Scotland or Germany. Maybe not. Who knows? The guy that bought the hat, which may have been linked or not, didn't have an accent, according to the person that sold it to her. But what about the swelling on the head? Or is that just an optical illusion with the photo? It looks like I think that's because of he's so malnourished. Bones. Yeah. And and the bones don't grow when he's that malnourished. I I think that's why it really that picture really sticks in people's minds. Well, like, yeah, you'll never forget it looks that like on one side of his head, like it looks really swollen. But now there were potential leads. Now these are not something to call the case closed on. All right, for instance, as soon I mean this was big news, national news. One caller calls in. Quote: Can you tell whether that boy was weak-minded? She asked, and then the uh, detective asked her name. She wouldn't give it. Do you know what it is like to take care of an idiot? Sometimes you get so sick of their crying and you kill them in a fit of anger. That might be your explanation. Oh. And then she hung up. Wow. Yeah. Now, let me talk a little bit about some leads here. This is super important and it's going to come back into play. This is the Good Samaritan. It was a Sunday afternoon when, now this is, remember, the body was found the first time on the 25th, which was a Monday, correct? That Tuesday is when the police got there. But initially, the boy on the bike found it. This was a day before. One day before, okay? This was a Sunday afternoon. A good Samaritan. Now, he was driving his truck, like they do in old Philadelphia, and he he sees— I don't think that's how they do it in Philadelphia. (laughs) No, remember the Amish don't have trucks. They have horses. He was driving his horse. He sees what looks to him at first to be—now, remember I said this road was like a dump site. So he sees this car parked there. It's kind of a— just a family car, dark colored, old Cadillac or whatever, part there. And it looks like these assholes are dumping more trash. Every time I, I come down here, they dumping trash. Mm-hmm. Okay. He kind of pulls up his truck, rolls down the window and says, y'all can't be dumping that trash around here now. And then. This is Philadelphia. It's not no. the South. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like trying to. It's I more like, like um, uh, let me get a Philly accent going here. They don't really have accents. It's not like it's uh, not as enunciated as New York, and definitely not like Boston. It's it's like halfway between an. Uh, <laughs> well, do an New, accent for me, and I'll try. New to... York and Maryland. Do, do the Maryland accent. has an accent? Yeah, they elongate their O's. 
O's? O's. I never noticed that. Mm-hmm. What, like Canada? Um. A boot? No, about? No. A boot. <laughs> um. Canada, thank you for our most popular episodes. <laughs> hey, you can't be dumping here. I don't know how to do a Philadelphia right. accent. <laughs> All right, I'll try it. Hey, you can't be dumping here. Wait. <laughs> I don't know Ow, what the fuck that was. Essay? Essay. <laughs> what? I don't know. Fuck. I don't know. I've been drinking. Shit. All right, fuck it. Excuse they, me. You can't dump that here. Excuse me. You can't dump that there. Hey, asshole. You can't dump that here. Yeah. Hey, asshole. Yeah. They okay. do say That's asshole. That's probably what they would yeah. say. Hey, asshole. Don't be dumping that shit there. But it was a girl. A, well, it was a woman. Oh. And a little girl. Hey, dickhead. Don't be dumping that shit here. <laughs> it was a woman. Ma'am. And, and a small child. He thought it was a boy. It may have been a girl. He doesn't know. But Ma'am. You can't. screwing this up. You can't yeah. put that here. Put that back where it belongs. But anyway, he pulls up. He says that from afar. Hey, y'all can't be dumping that on here. And then he drives up a little closer. Now, they have completely turned away from him. So you picture, I showed you the road that was on. They're parked on the side of that road. And this guy comes up. Dumping a very large box. He comes up and he pulls a little closer. Now, they turn around. The mother and the child, like a six-year-old child, turn around away from the man completely. They don't say anything. The man goes, he feels bad because he's like, shit, they were just trying to change a tire. Hey, ma'am, do you need any help? You need help getting that tire out the trunk? They don't say anything. They just turn. They just are looking straight ahead, not at him. Backs turn to him. He tries to see the license plate. He can't because their legs are obviously blocking it on purpose. Hmm. The trunk is open. He's just like, man, there's some weird-ass people up in these parts. And he drives the shit off. Okay? A day later, I mean, obviously, whoever was there, and the fact that they just turned away and not said anything is so creepy. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's fucking like, creepy. That's like horror so, movie material. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you ask, well, how's this guy going to remember? It's like, well, it because just, that's really, really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you, that's like the point in the movie where you're like, excuse me, ma'am. And they, like, don't turn. And then you, like, go around and she's, like, some zombie or, like, yeah. Yeah, alien yeah, or something yeah. creepy yeah. like that. Or, like, they have no face or eyes oh, or that's mouth. That's fucking creepy. Oh, that's good. Sorry. I told you I Are they turn around? Oh, I got it. Return to, what was it called? Something Island? I got a better one, Jen. They turn around, it's all scary, and he's like, okay. And then they turn around slowly, and they're dressed as clowns. Good night, talk murder to me. (laughs) Good night, all the females out there that hate clowns. Good night, Alexa. (laughs) We're not, females are not the only people who hate clowns. Clownophobia. All right, fuck it. Um, what was I talking about? The license plate. Oh. Well, you know what, though? Now, they, when they sent all the flyers and stuff out, was this national? Yeah, it got national. And because gonna, it's so weird. I was going to say, yeah. like, maybe maybe the perpetrator and the boy are not from Philadelphia. Maybe. I mean, I guess, I guess like, if you put it in that deserted area, you would have to know the area before you just dump a body there. But maybe they're from the south or maybe they're from the mid, like a different part of the country where they're like, okay, well, we got rid of this. Now 
we have no connection here. here yeah. yeah. That was probably the most creepiest moment. Because yeah. if they're standing right behind the truck, pulled over, and they just turn, I can just imagine a mother, like, holding a child's hand, turned oh, away. yeah. Turned away from them, you know? Turn around every now and then I get a little bit lonely. All right. The Barbara, 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 the Barbara, the haircutting guy, Barbara, Barbara, the Barbara, um, the local Barbara claimed to have cut the kid's hair in the past. Now, he was accompanied by an older brother at the time, and there was five brothers and one sister in all. Now, keep in mind, these are just people saying, oh, I know that kid. Could have just been for fame. And he said the family actually lived in the Strawberry Mansion neighborhood. Oh. That sounds interesting. So the only real arrest they've ever made was this tip they got from uh, this farm, literally this farm called the Horsham Farm. A woman called and said, listen, there's there's about or there's about well, I can't do a woman's accent. She called and said, there's six people, six or seven people living on this farm. Now, I swear to you, that kid was on that farm. This is weird. It's like a cult. It's like a mini cult. Ah. Yeah. So the cops busted down the, the gate of the farm gate, you know, shot all the cows, and then they took them all in. Now, did they the, really shoot all the cows? They didn't shoot all the cows. Oh. But the only thing they found on the farm, besides a bunch of weird hippies, was a photograph that looked exactly like the boy. Oh. But it turned out to be one of the kids. Oh. The and the living kids. hippie kids, yeah. So this has been very frustrating for these guys. <laughs> All right, one of the most likely suspects they had, still have, is Arthur and Catherine Nicoletti. Now, at the time, Detective Bristow, the one that drove himself fucking mad trying to solve this unsolvable case... Exhaust every lead he can until he finally does what every detective ends up doing, but doesn't, you know, but won't tell their chief commander about. They go to a psychic, right? <laughs> Aha. So it's kind of weird. I was like looking at the psychic stuff. These guys, and I guess psychics today, if, if they're trying to track a body, they need a metal something that has been close to the body, you know, like maybe a bracelet or. I don't know. Like, but it has to be metal? Yeah, it's got to be metal. In fact, the only metal they had was the two staples that were stapled in the box together. So he actually brings that to the psychic. Hmm. One of my friends is, um, she, she doesn't call herself a psychic. She calls herself gifted, but she's helped to find a dead body before. That's back home. crazy. Mm-hmm. Look for a big house with a wooden railing, she said at last, her eyes still closed. I see four steps and a wooden rail, and there's a log cabin. There's children playing inside. Look for a big house and a log cabin, she said, and I see a street. Fourth house on the corner. There's a candy store on the corner, an old man behind the counter. I see a short, husky man. He has fat fingers. He has a scar with an unusual shape. He's a non-professional type. I mean, he works with his hands, but I sense that he doesn't hold a job for very long. He drinks sometimes too much. There are other children in the family. His wife was aware that he killed the boy. The man was sorry, very sorry, and afraid. He put the body in the box and hid it, meaning to come back later to bury it. But the body was found before he could do it. I've told you everything I see. 
How much did she know about the story that she was? About? She didn't know anything. She wasn't even from the area. Did, so did she not know that it was the boy in the box? She didn't know the boy in the box. She had no idea. Let's Did see. he just go to a psychic and said, I need help solving a case. Well, Here's a no, piece of metal that was near the body. The psychic was actually recommended by like a Ph.D. doctorate and highly certified guy recommended this specific psychic because she's the best, I guess. You know, uh, police still now use psychics. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they just don't publicize it, but they do, mm-hmm. you know. I don't really believe in it, but, you know, who knows? That psychic, that what she said brought him, brought him to Arthur and Catherine Nicoletti's house and their daughter, Anna Marie, which was kind of the caretaker daughter. As a couple, as a married couple, they took in kids, adopted kids out. They were a foster parent. Okay. They would take in about six at a time. Okay. That's very unusual because he was riding by. I mean, he's at this point, he's riding by looking for a damn cabin in the woods because the psychic said it. All right. He's looking for the fourth. How did, how did they come across them? Fourth house on the corner with a big house and a wooden railing. He sees it. He eventually spots it, spots a house with a cabin in the back. And there's not a, I mean, a wood cabin in the back of your house. How many of those are in Philadelphia. But how did he find this? these people? He found them by... Just like going everywhere in Phil- fucking exactly. Philadelphia? Yeah, around the area. They're, they're around the area. Okay. They're pretty close in the Fox Chase section. Arthur and Catherine Nicoletti, they would foster different kids in and out. Probably the longest they would keep them is like a year. The shortest would be a week or two. All right. Now, the daughter, Anna Marie, of them two actually had kids of her own. She had three stillborn. These were all out of wedlock. Three stillborn. And the fourth one was tragically electrocuted on one of those mechanical ponies that you see at the fucking grocery store. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And everyone, all the detectives remembered that at the at the time. Because they were thinking, and this was ruled out not too long ago, actually. This was ruled out. That she wasn't the mother of this kid because her DNA. But that that was literally a year, a few years ago, mm. that she was finally ruled out. Of the boy in the box, or of the boy in the box, uh-huh. yeah. Because they were like, well, she had three stillborn, and then her fourth got electrocuted. Would she just stop having children? No, it could have been hers, and then they dumped it. You know, and with so many kids coming in and out, no one's going to notice. You know, yeah. one extra kid. So that was the theory at the time. Now the whole time. They were pressuring this family hard, okay? I, still no one knows if they did it. I will say even today, the last detective, the new detective that was on the case actually visited the home in 1998, February 23rd, on the 45th anniversary. Arthur, the father, answered the door. You know, he said his wife is dead. Catherine's dead. Here's my new wife, Anna Marie, which was actually his wife's daughter. So he married his stepdaughter. Do- oh, I was going to say, I was like, that sounds <laughs> yeah. like the name of the daughter. Yeah. So he married her stepdaughter. It was so weird. That is weird. But anyway, didn't, they, they didn't refused. did Woody Allen do that? Yes. They refused all kinds Mia of. He married Pharaoh's uh, daughter. Who? Woody Allen. He did that? Mm-hmm. He's married today to his adopted daughter. I guess it's not weird, though. Um, uh, yeah, you're not it blood is. related. 
doesn't matter. He, you're, there, you are supposed to be that person's father. He was the adopted yeah. father. Yeah, did she call him daddy? Oh, oh shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, maybe I should cut that. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> All right. Um, so the new detective, they tried, and they didn't really try too hard because these are all new. It's like this case happened 70 years ago. What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? So they tried to get DNA and samples and lie detectors. But, it does, but they didn't necessarily have to have a DNA match if they weren't, if the boy wasn't related to him. If, they were, if he was a foster kid. Yeah. Right? But it if, doesn't need to be related. But they ruled out Anna Marie as the mother. They ruled out Anna Marie. They yeah. ruled out. The mother, mother, whoever yeah, yeah, yeah. died, Got but them. they don't have. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. No, they didn't rule out the mother. The mother was dead. DNA wise, they never got her DNA. Oh, she refused. But even to submit still, it. like there doesn't. Well, they could have taken the DNA from the father. He refused to give it. Well, but even still, there doesn't necessarily need to be a DNA match in order for them to have been the ones who did that. Yeah, that's because true. they were foster parents, so there could have been no blood relation whatsoever. Yeah. Now, somebody, who mentioned that he could be a refugee? Um, I anyway. never said a refugee. I said immigrant. Well, this is uh, some of the alternative theories. Maybe, all right, number one, maybe he was raised as a girl, which is why no one recognized her hmm. with her, you know, the Interesting. haircut. Yeah, but it's a boy. Yeah, right? but if it had long hair. Oh, then people would think it was a girl oh, at the time because they, they were asking all the kids and they were like, I've never seen this boy, but maybe it was a girl. Now, there was also a flood of refugees. This is very interesting. Around the same time in the fall of 1956, there was a flood of refugees from Hungary. And he was of that descent from what the doctor said may have been. After the anti-Soviet revolution in the fall of 1956. Now, the picture... That was in the newspaper to the detective. It showed a little boy as being a refugee to him, at least, you know, look just like the boy. So what did he do? He went and got all the refugee cards, which were basically a bo- boxes and boxes of 15,000 refugee photos. So he goes to INS to get these photos, 15,000 photos of refugees, and they sit there for days trying to match the face. And they finally find a dead ringer for this kid. Okay, this kid was born September 8th, 1952. They spent weeks tracking him down. You know, this is the kid, is a kid, his kid's got to be. That was the kid they found playing in his backyard. Mm. Yeah, this is the frustration of this case, right? Well, a refugee may make sense, especially being emaciated the way he Mm -hmm. was. Good point. All right. Let me tell you about the most likely scenario. Now, y'all don't have to read this if you don't want. It's a long-ass read. But it's a testimony. Do do you remember I said an earlier episode with that Good Samaritan stops and he sees a mother and the child? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that child, according to this person, was her. The child from the, the Good Samaritan saw many years later, 40 years later, goes to a psychiatrist to get something off of her chest, basically. 
and the testimony she, is the girl. Yes, oh, it okay. was the girl hmm. from what with she the, with says her with her mom. Now, the Good Samaritan thought it was a boy, but this girl, which is you know anonymous, well, everyone knows her as Mary. They never print her name. You won't be able to find her. She's a scientist at a huge pharma company, hmm. so she's very smart. Keep that in mind. Now. She's always had unusually large shoulders, and a lot of times people mistook her for a boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that could explain that right there, why the Good Samaritan may have thought it was a boy. Anyway, she goes in 1989, she's already successful. She works as a big pharma, probably like Pfizer or something. Mm -hmm. She's a scientist, for crying out loud. And she goes to a psychiatrist multiple sessions. And she wants to talk about what happened when she was a little girl and the life that she was growing up in. Because on the outside, having a father that's a school teacher and a mother that's a librarian, wow, what a great family. But on the inside of that household was deranged. Hmm. I'm talking about sexual abuse. From mm-hmm. both family, from both mother and father, they oh, were in no. it together. <gasps> she um, was talking about the father would bring little girls over only no, if the mother could no. bring little boys over <gasps> type of thing. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. So if I'm going I'm to read the testimonial. It's pretty long unless you guys want to help me read it. Or I could just read it tomorrow and y'all don't even have to listen to it. It basically breaks down everything about what happened to this boy. And it's pretty damn accurate from what the autopsy showed, you know. All right. I'll help you. I'm going to tap out because I read three times tonight. All right. Okay. So, guys, this is the actual testimony from Mary. We don't know her full name, but she came forward. And she is from the Philly area? She's I, from I this it. area, yeah. And now her mother and father have passed away. Mm. Okay. Okay. And she's been living with this wow. for her whole life. I mean, she was sexually abused and everything else. So this is her story. So if you want to believe it, you can. It's pretty accurate with stuff like... I was talking about the brown residue in the esophagus. Some some details like that weren't actually made public. So for her to know things like that and incorporate them in her story is pretty crazy. But I can't say this is true or not. Nobody knows. We only know who, who, Mary, is. who Mary is. I mean, the detectives know who she is, but that's it. So here we go. Mary paused, trying to summon the courage to go to a new depth. Were you molested? The doctor asked gently. She stared at the floor and nodded. When she was able to look at the doctor's face, she saw that he had not been shocked. Oh, of course not. That's not why I came here, Mary said. Do you ever work with criminals? Now and then, I'll examine a defendant for competence to stand trial. I've also testified in a few insanity defense cases. Do you believe in pure evil? I'm not sure, but then I never examined Hitler or Stalin. Do you have a special interest in crime, Mary? In one crime. And then Mary's eyes overflowed with scalding tears, and she shook with endless sobs. When she could see clearly again, a box of tissues had been slid within easy reach. Take your time. 
The doctor sounded gentle, so intelligent. When I was a girl, a little boy came to live in our house. In our basement, actually. Out of sight. Hold on with us now, Jen. Stay with us, Jen. This gets rough. Then Mary's face hardens. Her eyes seem to be looking far, far away. My parents were educators. He was a high school teacher, and she was a librarian. The students liked them very much. I bet my parents autographed a thousand yearbooks. No one outside our house could have imagined what went on inside those walls. After these years later, I can hardly imagine it. My parents did not have normal sexual desires. My father molested me. Oh, I know it's more common than people used to realize, especially back then. What was different with us is that my mother didn't just silently let it happen, which is the usual scenario. She was enthusiastic about it, even joined in. Oh, God. The agreement was that my father let her indulge her taste in little boys. She preferred them to adult men because she thought them pure. Anyhow, one night a little boy came into our home, into our lives. I didn't know the neighborhood. My mother drove for quite a while, but we were still in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure. The houses were close together and close to the street. Close enough so I could hear after my mother parked the car in front of this one house. My mother went up and rang the bell. The door opened and I saw a woman standing there. She was holding a baby in diapers. She and my mother talked just for a second. Then there was a man's voice from inside. Did you get the money? The man said. I thought he was talking to the woman standing in the doorway. But right then my mother took an envelope from her purse and handed it to the woman. Oh, I thought. The man was talking to my mother. And very quickly, the woman handed the baby to my mother and almost slammed the door in her face as though she never wanted to see her or the baby again. My mother carried him down to the car. I didn't know it was a boy then. It was a warm August night, hot even, so there was no need for a blanket. Hmm, interesting. Maybe that couple was the Nicolettis since they fostered. Mm Mm-hmm. Here, my mother said, handing the baby to me, because she had to drive. But I didn't know anything about holding a baby, and his diaper was wet. It smelled like pee, I remember that. But I didn't mind holding him. I really didn't. I felt sorry for him, because I remembered how the woman had slammed the door, as though she was throwing the baby out. He'll be okay, my mother said. So I held him as we drove home. All these years later, I remember how he felt against me. I got so I didn't even mind the diaper. I just felt that this baby, this little human being, needed me, needed somebody. I hadn't put everything together yet about my mother and father and how dysfunctional we were as a family. But I wanted this little baby to be happy. Did I say dysfunctional? Sick is what I meant. Mom, how come we're taking this baby home? I remember asking. Because he needs a place, my mother said. She sounded cheerful and kind. Can he be my brother? I asked. Sure, my mother said. Only, we can't keep him upstairs. I wanted to ask why not, but I was afraid. I don't really remember how he got his name. Maybe my mother chose it. In the car, I can't recall, but from then on, he was Jonathan. As soon as we got home, my mother took him down the basement and put him in this little room that used to be a coal bin. That was going to be his place, my mother said. I don't remember where my father was at the time. I remember thinking, it's like we just got a new puppy, only we never had a dog when I was growing up. My mother took some blankets and heavy dishes, like dog dishes, down to the basement. 
don't you go down there, I remember her saying. I was afraid to, anyhow. That first night, I would lie awake for a long time worrying about Jonathan. I listened for crying, but I never heard anything. I knew he was warm enough down there, especially with the blankets. And there was a big cardboard box from the coal bin from the time we got the refrigerator. The cardboard was real thick, like it could be a mattress. But I felt sorry for him down there in the dark. I didn't want him to be afraid. My mother would take food down to him. I don't ever remember my father doing it for some reason. Sometimes I'd go down there with my mother. We didn't talk to him much. When I would say something, he wouldn't answer. After the first few times, I thought he might, I thought he might be retarded. I'm not sure I even knew that word then. But looking back, yes, I think he was. Oh, God, this poor child. All the time he was with us, he never said a word. Not a word. After a while, I used to sneak down to the basement to see him. The smell. It was the first thing I noticed when I got to the bottom of the basement stairs. It was so strong. But of course it was. I mean, the little drain near the coal bin was his toilet. Sometimes when my mother took food down to him, she'd stay longer than other times. For whatever, I suppose. She'd bring him upstairs maybe once a week and put him in the bathtub. Splash a lot and make funny noises, but not real words. I don't remember Jonathan ever saying real words, ever talking. I think he was hungry all the time. I know I was hungry a lot. See, upstairs we didn't have meals like normal people, sitting down, talking and all. But once in a while, enough to eat, yes. Most of the time when I was awake, I was a little bit hungry, or a lot hungry. And when I'd ask my parents why the dinners were so small, they'd get all upset. They'd talk about the depression and how when they were younger, millions of families didn't have enough to eat. All right, I remember thinking, that was then and this is now when you, when both of you, my parents, have decent jobs. Sure, nobody got rich being teachers or librarians, but they weren't poor either. And I know my classmates weren't hungry most of the time. Time went by. Two and a half years, I realize now, Jonathan never did talk. Well, how could he learn being down there all the time? Never going outside, no playmates except me. I got so I liked to take his food down to him. The water he'd get from the sink near the washing machine. Sometimes I'd stay with him for a while. I'd sit on the cardboard with him. He always had a cold... He always had coal dust on him. My mother would get mad when she brought him up for a bath, and his hair would be full of black dust. It wasn't his fault. They kept him down here. He'd sit there, rocking back and forth, making these sounds that you'd expect from a little baby. I'd talk to him, call him Jonathan. Sometimes he looked into my eyes, like he almost understood. I even got him to smile. Oh, here it comes again. I'm sorry. His hair grew real long. They never cut it. Why? I don't know. Time went by, and I'd go to school each day thinking, I know a big secret. Of course I could never tell anybody. Not that I had any friends to speak of, or that Jonathan was the only secret. That night it happened. It was late February 1957. I was 15. Anyhow, my mother had made baked beans. They they weren't very good, and she took some down to Jonathan. When she came back up, she said, Jonathan was going to get a bath that night. And I remember there was no work or school the next day. After a while, she went down to get Jonathan. Next thing, I heard her stomping up the stairs, cursing Jonathan all the way, his feet going thump, thump on the steps as she dragged him along. When she got him upstairs, I saw from her face that she was really unhappy with him for some reason. God, his eyes looked so scared. She made him sit on the bathroom floor as the tub was filling. Back and forth, he rocked, making that little moaning sound. He looked so pathetic. Too old for a diaper, all these years later. I'm sorry, sorry. 
Cut his fingernails, she told me, so I did. They were pretty dirty. I tried to be gentle. When the tub was full, she picked him up and took off his diaper, put it in the wastebasket. I was embarrassed to look. Then she picked him up under his arms and lowered him into the water. He let out a little scream. The water was too hot. He kicked and splashed. My mother got wet. She lifted him back out the water and held him up on his feet. He was still complaining, you know, whimpering and dripping water. That's enough, my mother said. That's enough. Still, he kept complaining, stomping his feet and crying. Pretty soon he had tears and stuff from from his nose running down his front. I said, enough, my mother said. The medical examiner noticed that he had cried. It looked like the boy was crying Mm. shortly before the death. Just Mm -hmm. throwing that out there. And he's in the tub for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the baked beans. And the fingernails. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting distinction that the person who cut the fingernails did it with care. Um, Now I knew she was really angry with him. Back into the tub he went. He didn't scream this time. Maybe the water was cool enough, or maybe he was afraid. And then he threw up. Out came this brown mess, the baked beans into the bath water. My mother let out a shriek like I'd never heard before. She yanked him out of the tub and slapped him. I mean hard. So, of course, he started to cry real hard. And when he wouldn't quit, she slapped him some more on the face. So, of course, his crying only got worse. And that was when my mother lost it entirely. She slapped him so hard he fell and hit his head on the floor with a loud sound. She oh. kept hitting him with both hands, his head around his body. My mother's head was shaking from side to side. She was swinging so fast. She wasn't slapping anymore but punching as hard as she could. Jonathan was lying on the floor. He tried to curl up. I don't think he was making any sounds by then. And then my mother looked at me. Get out, she screamed. Get out. So I ran to my room. Only I stood in the doorway because I wanted to hear. I heard splashing noises and a loud thud. I knew she'd thrown him back into the tub. Wake up, my mother hollered. Wake up. Nothing, just silence. It seemed like the longest time, but it was probably only a few seconds. Jonathan, I want you to wake up right now. Come on. Again, nothing. I heard the other bedroom door start to open. I knew it was my father coming to check on the commotion after hiding it through it all. Right then, I ducked into my room and pulled my door shut. I heard the two of them talking, very nervous. Finally, I got tired of standing there, so I got into bed. I lay there a long, long time, my eyes open. I was afraid, so afraid and sad because I thought, Jonathan, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. I'm sorry. Where was I? In bed, lying awake. I know I fell asleep eventually. Then there were times when I didn't know if I was dreaming or not. But some of it must have been real. I heard water draining out of the tub. My parents talking in the hallway. The sound of scissors. I know that was real. Because the next morning when I snuck out to look into the bathroom, Jonathan's hair was much shorter. I could tell he was dead. His eyes were open but not seeing. There was sadness on his face. If I live to be a hundred, I will never feel as sorry for a human being as I did for Jonathan right then. Something made me turn. My mother was there. I could tell she'd been crying. I felt sorry for her too. Jonathan didn't wake up, she said. But you should go back to bed. It's too early for you to get up. I went back to bed and slept some more. I think I was in some kind of shock because waking up, having breakfast, getting dressed, I don't remember any of it. Don't remember where my father was. What I do remember was my mother lifting Jonathan out of the tub where he'd been all night and wrapping him in a blanket. He'll be safe, she said almost tenderly. We're going to put him somewhere safe. 
She carried him down to the basement with me right behind her. We had this side door in the basement that opened to the driveway. Nobody could see from the street, and there was a hedge that blocked the neighbor's view. The car was right there. I was shivering. My mother made me run inside and get my warm raincoat and cap. It was a cold day, but I felt nervous and sad inside, too. I felt this deep, awful sadness. Because I belonged to a family where such a thing could happen, that my mother could do it, my father, I didn't know where we were going at first. And then we came to the circle where there was a big church. And pretty soon we turned down this road, almost a country road, although it was just a little stretch. There was a patch of woods alongside. My mother stopped the car. We sat there for a few minutes. I remember her looking out into the woods. Then she said we were getting out. We went to the back of the car. I was shivering hard. My mother looked down and down the road before opening the trunk. And then along came this car. Don't open your mouth, my mother said. Okay, the Good Samaritan wow. and all yeah. these details were never public. Okay, keep that in mind. That That is how powerful this testimony is. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, and also, like, why would somebody make that up? Yeah. It was, it was too detailed to... You would have to be, like, a serious pathological liar if you're going to make... You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to say that sort of story. And not only that, but to memorize all the specific details like that, like, you would have had to rehearse it so many times. And when you rehearse something, unless you're an incredible actor, like, to bring that emotion into um you know into a testimony like yeah I-, I buy it for sure so this is the boy's grave this kind of sums up the episode right here headstone says heavenly father bless this unknown boy he's buried in potter's cemetery there in philadelphia now these are all the detectives i'm putting a picture i'm showing them a picture right now of all the detectives even today i mean you got young detectives that never even heard of this case they still all go down there you know to pay homage i mean to the case that you know took one of their detectives lives i you know i think the main detective would have still not still been living but i mean this stressed them out wore them down you know yeah I honestly do think that the Nicolettis could be tied to this as well. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I think they could, too. I mean, just because not necessarily criminally, but, you know, having being being foster parents, you know, the where's the money part of that story. Handing a child off. Makes sense that no one would recognize him, Mm -hmm. too. if He was in a basement. Yep. And, you know. If he was a foster, if he was a foster child, yeah, no one would be there to claim him anyway, yep. biologically. Yeah, I think he was born here. I don't think he was an immigrant, and I'll tell you why: because he was never vaccinated or anything. And anyone coming immigration immigrating to America at that time period, they had to get all these vaccinations, mm. and he didn't have any. But how do you explain if? It- if that is Jonathan, the boy in the box, how do you explain the uh, surgical scars? Well, I didn't say there were surgical scars. I said the medical examiner said that they could possibly be surgical scars. Okay. You know what oh, I'm well, I mean like, oh, okay. They, they, they're shaped like surgical scars. Okay. Yeah. If you go to talkmer.com, you can see the pictures of, you know, the autopsies of the autopsy that was done. But – I mean, it could be anything, just being beat up all the time. Yeah. I don't know, shit. What's really interesting is the psychic as- aspect. Because the psychic, 
was not from the area. She's never been there. And she was so accurate. And let's say it, it was the Nicolettis. She basically pinpointed the exact house. The fourth house down, there's a candy store. And the detective Bristol walked into the t- candy store. And guess what? There was an old guy working, just like she said. Now, the detectives at the time were thinking he was not crazy, but, you know, grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so wow. that is the boy in the box. The uh, Heavenly Father, please bless this unknown child, which we still don't have a name for. Possibly Jonathan. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you really like this episode, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a talk host primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder to Me podcast. My name is John. Here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Why, Jen? It's funny. It's for the pods. Oh, also, I was on the forum and Cassie was replied to my message and said that she also loves Crazy Ex Girlfriend. So you guys are just out of touch because it oh is a fabulous God. show. I, I like pro- it. I would probably like it I, if it wasn't a musical. I I like, like the humor. Uh, yeah, but I couldn't watch it over and over. I that, can. That's just like people going back and binging our podcast. Yeah, like a couple episodes, but <laughs> binging the whole fucking shit. God, can you imagine people doing that? They do. I know.